Just a brief note before we get started, this episode is part of a special series we recorded at the Institute for Energy Law's annual Oil and Gas Conference. Some of the discussion will focus on issues facing the oil and gas industry specifically, but we think all our listeners will learn something of value. We also want to give a special thanks to the Institute for Energy Law for hosting us. Now, on with the show. Welcome, everyone, to the In-House Roundhouse, where in-house lawyers, outside counsel, and industry experts gather around to discuss current issues and best practices. I'm your host, Mark Enriquez, a commercial litigator with Womble Bond Dickinson. With me is my producer, Brian Ewing. Uh, sitting down with us today is Laura Robertson. Laura's Deputy General Counsel, Litigation, Arbitration, and IP with Conica Phillips. Laura, thank you so much for joining with us. Thank you for having me here. Um, we also have Liz Klingensmith, one of my partners in the Houston office, joining us again for another podcast. Liz, delighted you decided to come back. Thank you, Mark. <laughs> she, she's learned that this is a fun experience, so <laughs> the, the more the better. Back. I am. I can't get enough. <laughs> yep. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit today about diversity and inclusion in the business. Uh, listeners will know we've touched on this a few times uh, during our ACC series. We talked about the Mansfield rule, which is something we've adopted here at Womble Bond Dickinson. But I'm interested in some of your experience. I know certainly. Uh, there's less tolerance for bias and discrimination against women than there once was. I know for a long time, um, you know, there were a lot of barriers, real and and uh, and created in the legal profession. What, what's your sense of uh, the experience, the challenges that women currently face in the corporate world and in the legal profession in particular? So, so how would I start with kind of what I've seen? I mean, I've been practicing law for now over 20 years. And absolutely, a lot has changed for the positive, no question about it. When I first came out of law school, I remember people would openly say to me, the last thing we need is another woman lawyer. Wow. Just like unabashed. And I went to UT Law School and graduated with honors and got an interview uh, for a summer internship at one of the, we talked about earlier, one of the big three name firms at the time. And when I showed up for my on-campus interview, and I'm in a full black suit, right? Um, I came to the front desk and said, I'm here for an interview. And they said, okay, um, you're on the wrong floor. You need to go down like about 10 floors. So I said, okay, so I'm on the 20th floor. And they said, you need to go down to like the eighth floor. So I go down to the eighth floor and I've got my, you know, my resume in hand. I mean, I'm I'm dressed up. I think I look professional. And um, I walk in and it looks like a basement. And this is a true story. And I said, okay, so I kind of knocked on a, it was, it was in the middle of nowhere and I walked down and there was a desk there and there's nobody there. And I said, well, hello, I'm, I'm hello, anybody here? And I'm here for oh an interview. Gosh. And this uh, woman comes out, looks like I have a foul room. And she's like, how can I help you? And I said, I'm here for an interview. And she said, oh, okay. So she come, she goes back, she comes out with a clipboard. Like I'm applying. Oh my god. Like I guess she assumed I was there to be like a secretary or and so I said, um, actually this is my callback. I've already interviewed once. I don't think I'm I'm not here just to mm. fill out an application. And she was like, Well, what kind of job? And I said, To be a lawyer? And she's like, No way. A lawyer? You cannot be here as a lawyer. Oh my god. And then she starts laughing and grabs something back, you're gonna this she says she's here to, to oh, interview to be a lawyer i swear i oh, swear that's crazy god. isn't that crazy and i'm like 
uh, no, I'm serious. This is a big firm in town. Right. And um, so then finally they finally they figured it out and they call upstairs because they at this point they think I'm late. I've missed my interview, right? Mm-hmm. So they finally call me in and I will say to their credit, they dragged me immediately to the managing partner's office and made me an offer on the spot. <laughs> <But> <laughs> that was smart. That was smart. That was smart. Yeah, They're trying so, to... Um, what a story. But that shows you... So that's kind of the environment that I walked into. And wow. um, it certainly has gotten a lot better since then. Mm. Yeah. I would totally agree with that. Um, one of the things that I found frustrating when I first graduated, and still happens although to a lesser degree, is that people tended to make decisions for me or make the assumptions about, you know, what I needed to do. For example, I, I worked on a trial team that was getting ready to go to trial, and the partner who was on the case at the time, who was a male, um, basically made the decision that because I had young kids, I didn't I wouldn't want to go to trial but it's those kinds of opportunities that you tended to miss out on um, because people made certain assumptions about what you need to do or what you should be doing or you know what job you're supposed to be applying for so that was a source of great frustration but I do think that it has changed tremendously over the last 10 years or so absolutely no question about it it's um you would never have something you know people was make a negative comment about having women lawyers or I don't see that at all. I, I do feel like I, I agree that when I was newly married and either had small children or right before I had small children, there might have been more assumptions about whether or not I was committed to my career. And I tell women sometimes if you just, but if you get through, I don't know if that still exists because maybe a little bit, um, but I don't think quite as much. But once you get, if you just fight through it, just ignore it and you fight through it and then you come back from maternity leave and you're committed to working, I do feel like people quickly accept that you're committed to it and, and those assumptions start to, to fall away. Mm. And now, I mean, you have a lot of young men. It's now no longer maternity leave. It's parental leave, right? right. So you have a lot of young fathers who are taking paternity leave, which I think is wonderful. It supports women too and just the notion that we should all have that opportunity to spend time with our young children well that is exactly right we we have that at conica phillips we actually just rolled out maternity and paternity leave Mm. and there's a male lawyer on my team whose um, wife just had a baby two weeks ago and we went over out of our way like please take paternity leave and we want you to be able to take time off and spend time with your your wife or help with the other kids and we wanted to show that we were behind it and that, that we actually use it. So he was like, I, I don't know that I can take three months off, but he is off right now. Yeah, he used it. That's good. And no. I think that's been really helpful for the environment, not just for women, but for men. I think that's I great. Agree. I mean, I remember taking paternity leave. I, I took uh, three weeks off with each of our four kids. But it, the first two in particular, there was definitely eyebrows raised. Around. And our policy, allowed, no one said I couldn't, but I, I was an associate at the time. And there was this sense of, really? You need three weeks off? And I didn't. I did it after my wife's leave ended because we were trying to transition into other childcare options. And it has. I, I experienced some change even over the time that I had kids yeah. from the beginning to the end. But I'm delighted to hear, you know, active promotion of doing it. Because we never got that. We got more questions like, you didn't have a baby. Why do you need leave? Was was really kind of the, the questions I was getting yes, about, yes. 
you know, it, it was either like I was trying to make some progressive statement or something. Else. It was definitely, you know, it was at a time when it was questioned. Well, I the remember idea when of I taking paternity leave was, you know, not not encouraged. Absolutely. Well, I remember when I came back from maternity leave the first time. Somebody said to me, "Oh, I want a three month vacation." And I was like, "You clearly <laughs> have not been not around an infant in, in, in anytime soon." That is not a vacation. <laughs> Whereas you would wow. never hear that today. I mean, no. nobody would ever make that kind of comment. And. You know, I'm really fortunate because my husband, Brandon, um, is also a lawyer and we are a true, even partnership with around the house and raising the children. We actually sit down once a year, we divide up all the expenses and how we're going to allocate responsibility and, 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 I, and we're not the only example of that. And I think you get more and more role models of like true parental partnerships between the the wife and the husband or husband and husband or wife and wife mm -hmm. today you know the more and more people feel comfortable you know doing that i think that's true i'm wondering do, do you guys have an opinion as to why this has changed i mean i think we've seen positive change i just wonder is it coming from finally getting more women in leadership positions where they say we've got to do it this way or is it a bigger societal shift I think it's good. I'd like to identify how we've made the progress so we can continue it, but I don't know. I'm not sure what caught, what is what has helped. I mean, that's a that's a that's an interesting, intriguing question. Um, I do think today there's such a positive focus on inclusion, not just diversity, but inclusion, and this idea of treating everybody with you know respect and recognizing that we all have different perspectives and different priorities and it's not just based on traditional concepts and mm -hmm. so maybe it's just an awakening about that and so because there's just such a respect i do i do feel like in culture today there's a just a much wider spread respect and res of that and then a recognition of the value that various perspectives and approaches and lifestyles bring and so we just all want to kind of embrace that yeah yeah i think that's true i also think that there's just you know i do a lot of work uh, with IEL with the young energy professionals and I do think that there's sort of a generational shift mm -hmm. where some of the things that have been questioned in the past just really aren't issues amongst some of the younger lawyers coming into the profession they're accustomed to working with one another and with diverse people and backgrounds and I, I love that you said placing value on you know those diverse perspectives because I think that that is when once you recognize that there's value there then there's incentive to sort of develop that and bring it along. I do think that's great. I'm, I'm glad you brought up diversity and inclusion. I know, I do think there's been more attention to that. I think it was Verna Myers who said that diversity is being invited to the party and inclusion is being invited to dance, which I think is a good, you know, a good, a uh, a good way to, to do that. And I know yes, she came and yes. spoke to our firm. I, that was probably before you joined us. We, we brought her in to do a, an inclusion workshop wow. uh, with Womble across the office. It's very inspirational. And, and also talking about unconscious bias, which we've done another podcast on, but a lot of interesting issues out there. Um, well, and that, that brings me to another topic I wanted to ask about, which is kind of mentorship and sponsorship, realizing that those are different concepts. It sounds like you've touched on, on that already in terms of some of the 
the folks at the top looking for the talent, regardless of <laughs> regardless of uh, gender, race, or other stuff, and really trying to identify people and put them in in those positions. So that that sounds like an important culture. Um, is there a formal mentoring program at ConocoPhillips, or or is that kind of organic too? Where that that is organic. We've we've talked about having a formal mentorship, but from my experience. I've been I've been at law firms where we had a formal mentorship program and it it honestly never really works very well if it's forced but I agree with you there's no question going back to your really your first question to me I wouldn't be where I am today if it wasn't for my mentors and my sponsors right and so just for our listeners just make sure you know mentors are really someone who you know directly takes you under their wing to help teach you or train you in a particular area and that very often is your direct supervisor or it can be a peer or it can be another leader in the company whereas sponsors is someone who's really cheering you on in the sidelines and you may not even know that you have those sponsors that somebody's advocating for you behind the scenes and so there's no question that you cannot be successful without both. And so I think while it's not formalized, again, I do feel strongly that I'm that I'm lucky that I'm in a culture where developing others and empowering our workforce and helping bring the most out of our people and putting them in the right place so we can act as mentors in that way or sponsors is really culturally how, how we run our organization because you know we view our people are their assets and so we're investing in them we want them to have good careers and we want to get the most out of them so it's really more informal and organic but Mm -hmm. it's cultural got it no that's interesting do you have advice for listeners that maybe maybe younger are looking for that that mentor how do you find I mean you said you you've explained how important they were to you for the mentors did you seek them out how did you decide who you know who to approach or did they find you I'm always fascinated for and I agree I think there's often a lot of talk about formal programs but they can be difficult we it's something we used to have and then didn't then try to you know I do it's hard to assign someone and say this will be your your mentor and coach and you know that it, it just often doesn't work right it's good but but I think younger people often say oh, I don't I need a mentor but I don't know how to find him any advice there Yes, so I usually give uh, two pieces of advice. Um, The first is that you have to own your career. So think about what it is you love, you enjoy, where you want to be, and then seek out people and ask for advice. That is, so I don't, I wouldn't recommend coming up to someone and saying, will you be my mentor? (laughs) But you think, I would really like to do more. Will you be my friend? Will you be my friend? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I I mean, people can do that. And I've actually had that question. And and, um, and then usually my question is, well, how can I help you? Mm -hmm. And, but it's more, I think, what is it you really want to understand? What is it you want to be better at? Because you own your own career. So I, I want to know more about environmental litigation. And so you can look around and identify someone like Tracy Renfro, who's a true expert in environmental litigation, and reach out to her and say, hey, can I, can I buy you coffee and pick your brain? And that is the best way, I think, to develop a mentorship. And sometimes it's just one meeting. Sometimes that then can lead into a more ro- longer running relationship. But 
you know, I used to do that where I would ask people, sit down and ask people questions. And then sometimes they would, you know, either give me advice right there or then even become more of a sponsor. And then in my current role, you know, I think I would tell younger lawyers, people do reach out to me now, not that uncommonly and say, hey, can I come out to your office and buy you coffee or buy you lunch? Mm and i will never say no absolutely i would i love that opportunity it may just be one lunch or one coffee but the fact that they're investing in themselves and asking for advice i value that and i may say oh well but you you should talk to so and so or i may talk to somebody else quietly and say hey you should hey so and so Mm -hmm. came and talked to me you know he or she is really interested in this area so that that's actually so that's a little bit organic but somewhat you know, tactical. Right. Um, and then the other piece yeah. of advice that, well, go ahead. You, well, no, I just think that's great. That. I think that, that encouraging someone to do something relatively simple, like let me buy you a cup of coffee or take you to lunch and just, mm-hmm. you know, and the fact that you'd be willing to say yes. I do. I think a lot of times people hold back because they're like, you know, Laura's too busy. There's no way she, you know, she doesn't want to make time for me. I, I really, I appreciate your attitude of I'll do it. I'll, you know, I'll make it. Cause I think that will encourage people to make the ask of the people that they think may be too busy. I mean, Absolutely, yeah. and and I can tell you that I know other leaders, you know, are, there's very few who won't take that meeting. But when I was a young lawyer, I would have been fra- afraid yes. to, to make that request. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. And and so I, that's one thing to let people know. You can contact somebody that you look up to or that you think you could learn from, and they will very rarely not take that meeting. It may be six months before you can get on the calendar. Um, but you know keep trying and that's the best way to grow yeah I always take those meetings too from young lawyers or law students and I love the opportunity to take them out to lunch and just listen to them and what they're interested in so I can try to find and ways to help them along or help them towards the goals that they've set for themselves Um, I am always flattered and honored to be able to have those conversations with you know, the future of our profession. Absolutely. And if they can help me understand how millennials think, I get, I get something <laughs> I out of it too. too. <laughs> exactly. There you go. There you go. Yeah. yeah so so um, happy to do it. Yeah. Oh, and I do think it's true when you are helping someone and mentoring, there's definitely, you know, in a good relationship, there's benefit for both. Oh, right? yeah. I mean, mentors gain a lot of understanding of, you know, what those folks, you know, what their approach is and what their views are on the profession of the current challenges. So I do. I think it's a two way learning experience when it happens. Um, yes. So I was going to say the other the other yeah. piece of advice I usually give is I do think you need to own your career and be somewhat tactical about it and deliberate about it you know looking at where you want to be and and move forward and and have a plan but then i also always recommend that you be open to opportunities you don't see coming you know you just never know what door is there that you don't realize is there will get opened for you i mean as i mentioned for me it was this opportunity to work on international arbitration that came out of the left field. <laughs> right. I was busier right. than I was, had ever been, you know, like I didn't see that coming. Right. And you didn't it changed go to law my life. thinking Chavez will do something that'll get me in pick up the phone and give me a call and I'm going to have this amazing opportunity. And mm-hmm. so, and I will say, when you listen to leaders speak time and time again, you'll hear that message too, especially women that something will come out of the blue for them and to hear it and be open to it. So plan, but also be open for that left field opportunity. Hmm. Yeah, that's great advice. That I is like good it. advice. Um, 
I want to talk briefly about outside the the company. What is is ConocoPhillips doing other stuff to encourage the advancement of women, minorities, and diverse professionals? Are there company-wide initiatives that you wanted to share, or anything particular that jumps out that you know you think other folks might learn from, particularly if they're in a smaller company or a newer company? So we've always had a philosophy that we didn't want to formally hire diversity for diversity's sake. But I will say undoubtedly that we have a focus and and attention on when we identify lawyers, outside lawyers or talent that are particularly if they're in a diverse group, you know, women or minorities that may not otherwise always be promoted that, you know, I and my team and my supervisors have always been proactive in acknowledging and identifying, you know, really strong diversity talent. So, and I, and I do that not just um, not just for women and minorities, but if I identify someone, so it's just treating everybody again fairly with respect, mm-hmm. but if I, particularly like if I identify a associate who I think is doing an outstanding job, really owns an issue, then I'm not afraid to pick up the phone and call a partner and say, if you're comfortable with it, I'd be comfortable with them taking a witness or doing this deposition. I want your commitment that you're going to make sure they're ready, but I will support it so that you give people opportunities. And so that's kind of how we've always been really proactive about it. Also at the partner level, um, we, we don't proactively say you have to give us diverse candidates, you know, when you make a pitch, but if I identify someone, so I can be a sponsor quietly, if I see that there's someone out there who's really, really good, then I'll make an effort to talk about it Mm -hmm. so that they get the attention that they deserve, that they're really good, you know, advocates or um, partners, you know, with the business. That's sort of the way that we do it more informally, but Mm -hmm. as a result, I know that we have a very diverse slate of outside counsel that we use and then if somebody's good i recommend them to others yeah i mean that's the feedback is so important you know if i've got a star associate working on one of my cases and my client sees that i want to know about that immediately and i'm always looking for opportunities to create you know ways for younger attorneys to get experience doing things because frankly that's the only way you know how to be a litigator is if you get to take a witness at trial so you understand that all that work you've been doing for the last year and a half that this is how it fits into the larger puzzle and without that perspective you just you just need it in order to develop as a litigator trial attorney Um, so I always welcome feedback from my clients about superstar associates And it's not just at the associate level, it's also at the partner level. Um, You know, I recently had a trial where we had hired, you know, the very senior, well-known, gray-haired, white male partner, and, (laughs) um, but there was a senior woman partner who was really doing the heavy lifting. And so, um, kind of a little bit facetiously, I was at a meeting and I said, well, why doesn't uh, she just take the lead at this trial? you know <laughs> nice <laughs> yeah. well done and I kind of I think it sort of stunned the, the whole room including her <laughs> when I was trying to make a point I was yeah. like uh, you can do it there's not a doubt in my mind mm-hmm. um, so at the very least they're gonna you know have yeah. even sharing of the, right? of the trial yeah no I like that I, that's I think great that's, yeah that is really good 
Um, I bet that surprised everybody in the entire room. I'm just curious what the response was. I think both he and she about fell out of their chair. <laughs> <laughs> but I just, you know, but you know, I do feel a responsibility as the client to show that I want to eliminate assumptions that I have a bias towards mm -hmm. the more senior partner. Mm -hmm. You know, that I want you to know that I recognize that you are all talented and that I am comfortable with everybody here taking a leadership role who I know has earned it. Yeah. But, the, you know, they may assume that I wouldn't be comfortable with it. Right. And so that's oh, no, why I think it's great. I make to, a, right. You making those preferences clear and stating that comfort gives them the freedom, hopefully, to shake things up or put things, you know, do it rather than just assume that, no, the associate can't do that or the senior partner's going to do that. So I, I think it's great. I, lo I love that. We don't see that that often from clients mm -hmm. that are doing that right that's no uh, I mean but I think that that goes to sort of the when you have really effective collaboration and communication with your client you can have those conversations like that and it feels good because everybody's on the same page then and you feel comfortable creating opportunities where maybe you wouldn't have felt comfortable without that kind of feedback or at the same time if something's not going right or you have a different expectation communicating that that also helps just to render more effective legal services that have more value to your client so you know good or bad that communication the willingness to say something and make people fall out of their chairs is excellent <laughs> it was great yeah. it was much value <laughs> yes you know and now my team knows too um because you know i'm not always on the front line of managing litigation and they know that they can come to me if they feel comfortable that the associate could take the witness then they'll come to me and say, hey, I would like to recommend to the partner, you know, that this particular associate has done, you know, the heavy lifting on the case. And I'll say, you know, if you ever come to me and you recommend it, uh, you're never going to get a no from me. Mm. Yeah, that's great. Well, that empowers them to be able yeah, to exactly. make decisions on the front lines. So you need to yeah, have that, too. I think that's good. The last thing you want no. people is, is for people not to feel confident in their decision-making or judgment because that's what you pay them for, frankly. That is, that is, that is exactly right. That's a whole other right. podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Another podcast. <laughs> Sorry. It is, but it is very important. It Rabbit trails. No, yes. it, is, it is important. Um, and before we finish, Laura, I know in addition to working at ConocoPhillips, you also served as president of, of IEL, and I, it'd be interesting in you know, sharing your view of IEL, in particular your, IEL's role in terms of uh, diversity, inclusion, kind of pr promoting younger professionals, which I know uh, it, it does. Uh, could you share a little bit about that, the Absolute, IEL perspective? Absolutely. So I'm not official. I have like two or three more hours, right? Okay. <laughs> it's not the end of the day. All right. Um, I, I, be officially become the chair okay. of IEL and right. yes um, that's right I know David was clocking David, he's, yeah, he's, he's, he's also been a guest right? <laughs> he, he was counting down the hours we got him in you know in his last hours of chairmanship <laughs> and now I guess this is maybe one of your last acts as non-chair right? yes yes <laughs> so, so I by I'm, the time this is released though you will be the chair I'll be chair IEL, yes so I'm really excited about taking on this opportunity this is a good example of sponsors because it was Wendy Dabaval who came out of nowhere and um, pulled me into IEL and I'm so thankful to her because I just think IEL is a wonderful place to, IEL's always had a, for since it started in 1947, a focus on the rule of law and making sure that we have outstanding programming and knowledge sharing and we'll always continue that. 
you know, but for me, when I got involved, it's been really about the networking. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that's one of the reasons why for the next two years, while I have this role, I have such a focus on diversity and inclusion because it's like you said earlier, not only do I want people invited to the dance, I want them to feel like they can dance and everybody will, you know, ask them to dance yes. so that it's an inclusive environment where this is a place where in-house counsel can all come together and feel like when they come here they're going to see their peers it's a fun place to be because they're not just because outside counsel and they'll see their outside counsel which is a value as well but that they'll see their peers and we can network and, and enjoy each other and that you feel the same way you know i see you know successful women that i can you know collaborate with and my outside lawyers as well academics judges and so people from outside of houston different practice areas so that's really the focus of this diversity and inclusion is that making making this feel like a home for diverse practice groups and and people and who all practice energy law so yeah um it's going to be exciting i mean we're kicking off we're really trying to revitalize the international practice group committee so i put susanna blades in charge of that and she said that she was shocked like 40 people i think showed up yesterday to their first meeting practice oh, committee wow. everybody last night is talking about it because there's great. a i don't think we realize but that is there's they don't really have a home. ITA is good for international disputes lawyers, but for all international lawyers, especially transactional lawyers, are like, oh, this could be a home to us. So that's just one example of what we'll be focusing on in the next two years is just making sure that everybody feels like they'll get asked to dance at the IEL. I love it. That's great. That's great. No, terrific. Well, congratulations on on your soon Thank <laughs> your you. Busy, you know what will happen in a few hours. I think that's exciting, um, and I can tell you bring a lot of excitement to to the role of chair. And uh, and we've certainly enjoyed being involved here at the at this IEL conference. It's been it's been terrific. Um, thank you. Well, thank you. Thank you very much, Laura, Liz. This yeah, was a great, great podcast. I appreciate you spending the time uh, with us. And Laura, if people hear this and want to connect or want to have that coffee, how, how can they reach you? Is LinkedIn a good option or what's the best way to, to, to call you and get advice? LinkedIn is probably the best option because my contact information isn't available to everybody. Yes. <laughs> probably not going to get my phone number over this. <laughs> no, no. Right. But absolutely, I do actually get, and I do check it not every day, but there's you know the messaging in there, mm-hmm. um, and then we can we can correspond and then try to Great. you know Sounds get together good. for coffee or um, <laughs> breakfast. I do a lot of breakfasts here. That's great. Yeah. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you both very much. I want to remind our listeners you can find previous episodes of the In-House Roundhouse and subscribe to this podcast at WombleBondDickinson.com or on iTunes, Google Play Store, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you have questions or comments about this episode or suggestions for future topics, you can share them with me on LinkedIn or Twitter. Thank you for listening. This has been the In-House Roundhouse. See you at the next station. In-House Roundhouse is a production of Womble Bond Dickinson. Brian Ewing is our producer, and Robert Daughtry is our audio engineer.